Hello and welcome to Here's Johnny's Reviews and my look at the most 80s of 80s movie, Joe Schumacher's The Lost Boys. 80s! Coming out 30 years ago, in the height of the modern vampire movies of the time, such as Fright Night, Vamp and Near Dark. These movies prove that you didn't need some old English actor to play the Prince of Darkness, but they could be hip, young, fresh vampires that break the rules and thankfully do not sparkle. Thing is, is this movie actually good? Or is this the ultimate rose-tinted movie? Let's find out if the vampire lore can mash well with the MTV generation. And I will say, about 10 years ago, I saw this in an all-nighter of 80s horror movies. And this was one of the five movies that they showed. And all throughout the movie, did the audience shout 69 dude every single time Alex Winter appeared on screen. Also, a Buffy owes this movie a huge amount, especially the first season. So, sharpen your stakes, polish your crosses, and dive into the slice of 1987. Starring Jason Patrick, Corey Haim, Kiefer Sutherland, Corey Feldman, Diana West, and Alex Winter, directed by Joe Schumacher. The plot, a newly divorced woman, moves into a small Californian coastal town to be with her father, and she takes her two sons away from a messy divorce. Unfortunately, the town overran with vampires and her eldest son is wrapped up with him. Can he be saved and the town? Or are they next for the blood-sucking fiends? Oh, where's a spunky blonde cheerleader when you need one? The movie opens up with the iconic song Pelto Sister and a shot of a pure at night when we meet David in his fabulous blonde mullet, played by Keith Sutherland and the rest of his quote-unquote Lost Boys, including Mario, sorry, Marco, played by Alex Winter, and I think this is his only other role after Bill and Ted, as they annoy teenagers on a merry-go-round and act all biker gangy. Is that a word? Well, it is now. Until a fat security guard chases him from the pier. Later that night, he's killed by the vampire gang as they chase him down and literally rip him out of his car. The next morning, meet our heroes, Michael, played by Jason Patrick, his little brother, Sam, played by Corey Haim, and their mother, Lucy, played by Diane West, and Husky Nanook, as they drive into the small town of Santa Carla, California, which is actually Santa Cruz, California. And apparently it was originally supposed to be called Santa Cruz, but the mayor of the town didn't like the fact that we're going to rename it the murder capital of the world, so it was changed to Santa Carla. When we get shots of the town, and when you're strange by the doors play of various punked and teenagers just hanging around. Also, tons of missing children posters are plastered everywhere, as holiday makers enjoy the sun. And why would this town be thriving exactly, as it's the quote, cat murder capital of the world? Hmm. Note, this was supposed to be directed by Richard Donner, but he chose to do Lethal Weapon instead, and a franchise was a borna. And what I love about this movie is that Michael is supposed to be 17, yet Jason Patrick was 21 at the time. And Sam was supposed to be 12, yet Corey Haim was 16 at the time. You gotta love American casting directors, cause why the fuck would you cast for the appropriate age? Also, this is supposed to be a spin on the Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, i.e. the vampires were supposed to be aged 9 or 10, not 20-something layabouts. Anyway, they arrive at their weird hippie grandfather's farm, with Michael riding his dirt bike, and here we meet the Willie Nelson-looking grandpa, played by Bernard Hughes as he's just lying on the porch pretending to be dead. What the f- The house itself looks like Ed Gein's summer house, with stuffed animals everywhere and a room to boil bones. In fact, even the 
movie makes a joke about being Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Much to Sam's dismay, his grandpa has no TV, which means no MTV. Oh my god, how the hell will you survive? Yeah, don't worry kid, 20 years later, MTV doesn't show music videos anymore, it's all Kardashian shit. That night at the pier, because of course it's a bloody pier, the whole fucking movie revolves around the pier. Spot Tina Turner's former saxophone player, the shirtless oil up saxophone player, as he has an enthralled group of people as he sings off key and plays a bloody saxophone. We meet Michael's love interest, Star, played by Jimmy Gertz, and her little brother, hmm, Laddie, played by Chance Michael Corbett. Michael spots her and BOOM! He's in love! Also on the pier, Lucy helps a little lost boy find his mother as head vampire, spoiler alert, Max, played by Ed Herman, watches with a smile on his face and a plan in mind from his video shop just as David and his goons are walking. Note, for my younger listeners, a video shop was a bit like Netflix, however, you rented the movies and then returned them for a fee. And if it was a new release, you just had to pray the video shop had more than one copy, because if not, you were fucked. Also, you had to rewind the bloody tapes. And be kind, rewind, folks. Max offers her a job, and boom, a relationship is born. And one teensy tiny little thing. Why did you have to move from Phoenix to Santa Carla? And why is she penniless? This was in mid-80s. Sure the hell she took the ex-husband to the cleaners. Hmm. Anywho, back to the movie. And Michael... And Sam stalks Star throughout the fun fair. Sam runs off to a comic book shop ran by Edgar Frog, played by the one and only Corey Feldman, and Alan Frog, played by Jason Newlander, trying to find Batman number 14. And by the way, what the hell is Edgar wearing? For that matter, what the hell is Sam wearing? He's wearing a bloody paint-splattered, looks like, full-length, overcoats and hideous t-shirts and crap. Imagine you seen that. This is the mid-80s, the time fashion forgot. Hey, what am I saying? It's a fucking 80s. The fashion forgot the whole decade. Anyway, Sam shows off his geek cred once he moves a Superman comic from one shelf to the next shelf and BOOM! A friendship is born. Because Edgar thinks he's yet another yuppie scum. Edgar hands Sam a comic book, quote, a vampires everywhere, that could save his life. By the way, what is it with the voice Corey Feldman uses for Edgar? Is that supposed to be tough? Punks then steal comics from outside the shop, so Sam is left all along in the comic book shop as the two chase them down, as Edgar and Alan chase them down. Oh, by the way, Edgar and Alan Poe, Edgar and Alan Frog. Ugh, the joke. Back with Star as Michael is now rejoined by Sam. They force her to the biker vampires and her boyfriend David as they ride off on their bikes. Later that night, two twenty-somethings in the back of a beetle, the ones that stunned the smashing grab earlier, are ripped out of their cars and killed. So that's at least three people in the past 24 hours. My god, they're hungry vampires. The next day, Sam returns to the Frog Brothers where they tell him they're vampire hunters and try once again to give him a vampire comic book. Except Sam's not interested in horror comics and throws it in their face. One thing, how did they have enough money to print their own comic book? And are they just waiting for other teenage kids to come into the store dressed like Rambo rejects in... Sorry, dressed like Rambo wannabes in army reject clothes acting like hard men? Or is this all just for Sam? That night at the pier, Michael buys himself a leather jacket and how the fuck did he afford that? and tries to hang with the cool kids. Star comes out of nowhere and hits on him so love struck Michael, puppy dogs are around all night. Just 
as he was going to ride off with her into the moonlight, David and his gang show up and cock block him and ride off with Star, then challenge him to a race. And with that, they roll off into the night and the sands. At the point of no return, i.e. a cliff top, Michael bails from his bike and punches out David for trying to kill him. One punch later and a bromance is born. As he takes Michael to the lair, a sunken hotel, very much like Buffy season 1, and he puts some moves on him, i.e. makes him think he's eating worms and maggots. Then he is offered to drink from the bottle of wine blood. And how the hell did he not taste the bloody metal in the blood is beyond me. Back with Sam as he's tucked into bed by his mother. Note, he has a Molly Ringwall poster on a wall and a Rob Lowe suggestively pulling down the front of his trousers poster. So is Sam, hmm. Later at night, once Michael has had some blood, David and his biker gang ride down to the railroad tracks and show off their new powers by hanging on underneath the bridge as a train speeds over them. Michael finally lets go as the biker gang has all fallen and he just floats, so no pixie dust, just a few sips of blood, and boom, he can fly. So no clapping of the hands either. Hmm, no happy thoughts. He's then shown falling into bed. Sam wakes him up in the morning and opens the blinds and hands him the telephone, which is his mother telling him she's going on a date with Max. God, that was quick. Uh, the son bothers Michael, so he has to wear sunglasses throughout the entire movie, even though Star nor Larry has to. So that night, while Grandpa is out on his date and his mother is out on his, David and the gang decide to buzz Michael's house for fun. However, as soon as Michael opens the front door, they all vanish into fresh air. And how the hell is that possible? As Sam is in his bath, Michael turns into a half-vampire or vampling and goes to eat Sam. However, Nanook saves him by attacking and biting Michael. This leads to the famous line, you're one of them, a goddamn shit-sucking fiend. Wait till Mom finds out. As he notices Michael's reflection has disappeared in the mirror. With that, Sam calls the Frog Brothers and they tell him after a few quick questions his brother is indeed a vampire. Michael is then shown floating around his bedroom, which then he floats out the, the window and freaks Sam out just as a mother calls from her date. After Sam's screams, she runs off to help him and within a matter of seconds she turns home, even though in the start of the movie it's shown Grandpa's farm is in the middle of nowhere. But she makes it from the centre of town to the home in a matter of minutes. As Mike floats by, tapping window, much like the vampires do in Salem's Lot. Once the mother speeds home, Sam downplays everything and spots Laddie's picture on the milk carton that Mike spilled earlier. Michael spilled earlier. Which, by the way, says 1984 on it, which means that little boy has been a halfling for three years and has never eaten, eaten anything. How the hell is that even possible? Because it shows you Michael having a hard time drinking milk later and having something to eat, and he's only transformed less than three days earlier. Michael runs off on his dirt bike just as the grandpa returns from his date. Max returns home to be stopped by David and his gang. Michael returns to the sunken hotel to have sex with Star, and cue billowing curtains, soft lighting, and 80s power ballad aka Cry Older Sister. And does that song have a hidden meaning or is it just me? Then shots of the sky, are they fucking the clouds or are they supposed to be flying? The gang return as Michael and Star are still in bed. Michael looks at the cut in his hand and it is now gone. So the bite mark that Nanook gave him has disappeared. That morning Michael returns home and brushes off his mother's concerns. So she goes to see Max but is chased off by the hellhound Thorn. This of course makes Sam think Max is the head vampire, which of course he is even as a kid, I thought this was so, it was a piss poor job of hiding that one. So he runs off to tell the Frog Brothers. 
Michael sneaks off to meet Star, just as Max arrives for dinner during which the Frog Brothers test him by giving him garlic and whole water to drink it over and into the house, therefore rendering them powerless. Back with Michael, as he faces off with David for Star. So David takes Mike to kill Nazi surfers as they rock out to walk this way by Run DMC. As they sit in the world's shortest tree, David finally shows his true vampire self. As Michael looks on stunned, David kills the Nazi skinheads. It took them an hour to get to the vampire reveal. Come on, Schumacher could have done much better than that and it could have been done much more earlier. Michael returns home, so Sam pleads with him to tell him who the head vampire is. Star shows up and flies into Sam's bedroom. How? She wasn't even invited in. To tell Michael, she nor Laddie aren't vampires but are half vampires and are only half vampires until they make the first kill. Also, she was supposed to kill Michael that night, but she fell for him and he fucked all night. Sam calls the Frobblers and they ride up in the bikes armed to the teeth, Goonie style, the next morning. Note Grandpa is putting down fence posts. Sam steals Grandpa's car and heads off with Michael and the Frobblers to deal with David. Note this movie coined the phrase to vamp out. Inside the hotel, the frogs go to stake Star, only for Michael to stop them. So they check out the rest of the hotel, finding all the vampires hanging upside down by their feet in one of the upstairs bedrooms. As Michael gets Laddie and Star out of there, Sam, well, Edgar, stakes Alex Winter's vampire and he explodes in blood. With that, they're chased by the Twisted Sister-looking vampires and barely escape into the sunlight. Note, the vampire blood was actually lube, mixed with food colouring and glitter. God only knows why. Uh, once out of the hotel, Sam speeds off with the Frog Brothers as Laddie and Star and Michael are in the backseat asleep. Sam runs off to tell his mother about the vampires, but of course she thinks it's all in his head due to the comic books and doesn't believe a word he's saying. So with that, they barge into a church to steal hot water and set up traps all around the house once he sent Grandpa away in another date. As the sun sets, it's on between the Frog Brothers and David's undead bikers. At dinner, Lucy tells Max what Sam told her about the vampires as Max looks on all suspicious-like. Cue the ridiculous speech Edgar gives about how no two vampires die the same, one explodes, one implodes, blah 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 blah. And how the hell did he know this? Because this is the first time he's ever fought against vampires and they run off screaming as one bled all over them. Mmm, so much for hardware then. Sam runs outside to get the nook after he tied him up outside just as David and his goons show up. Egg and Alan take Larry and start upstairs and they're attacked by one of David's gang members. So they splash hot water on him, then the nook drop kicks him into a bathtub full of hot water and garlic. He dies screaming and melting because of course he melts, it's the fucking 80s, everybody melted in the bloody 80s. This of course causes the tub and every single tap in the house to explode. With every sink, every tub, every toilet, everything explodes. Why? Next up is another biker goon, which Sam kills with a bone arrow and the line, Death by Stereo. It is on Michael versus David, as upstairs, Edgar and Alan boast about killing a vampire to Sam, who in turn tells him about the stereo. Just then, Larry turns into a vampire, vampire and it's the attack of the Eddie Munster as he turns into a vicious little shit, but Star stops him from killing him because he's only a little boy. Nonsense, he's a vicious killer! Downstairs, Michael and David face off, as the two fly around in terrible green screen effects, as Krauster's sister plays for the hundredth fucking time. Michael stakes David on antlers, someone much suddenly didn't like. Mm. 
So, with David Smoked, it's over, right? Wrong! Because, surprise, Max is the head vampire. And note, Star is not a vampire that doesn't quote a vamp out. Also, now that Michael has killed, is he now a full vampire? Max drives Lucy home and quickly turns nasty, then shows his true face and his plan that he wanted Lucy to be the mother to his lost boys, well, man children. Also, the reason he passed the test was because he was invited in. One thing, however, it had to be the owner of the home, not a resident. Therefore, that is a piece of bullshit. After the big Bond villain speech, Grandpa smashes through the wall and stakes Max with a fence post just before he bites Lucy. As credits roll, but not before the famous line, the one thing I couldn't stand about Santa Carla is all the goddamn vampires. So, that was Lost Boys, an 80s overload of camp, cheese and nostalgia. However, only if you're a certain age, otherwise this will be cringeworthy to the extreme. The effects are iffy, the script is par, and the acting is so-so, especially from Feldman. However, I'm going to give this an 80s-tastic 6 out of 10. Come back next week for Lost Boys 2, The Tribe, then the rest of the month for the rest of the franchise. Don't forget to leave a like, follow and comment on my SoundCloud account. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod and email me what you thought of this and movie suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. Check out my other franchise podcasts of Omen, Psycho, Ghoulies, Critters, Gremlins and more. Also my solo podcast of Aliens, Doctor Who, The Movie, The Boys Brothers, Donnie Darko and many, many more. Uh, bye bye.